0: It's time to face the music. It's your day in court with a people's lawyer, Bruce Hagan, and attorney Ray Giudice.
1: This is your day in court on Extra 106.3. My name is Tug Coward, along with renowned lawyers Bruce Hagan and Ray Giudice. Bruce, if somebody's trying to get a hold of you and they need your help, how do they do it?
2: Hey, good morning. Great to be here today. Bruce Hagan, easy to find me. Uh, I'm all over the internet, H-A-G-E-N, Bruce Hagan. You can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. Email me, bruce, at Hagan-law.com. You can check out our website, bikelaw.com. I'm on Twitter, at PeepsLawyer. Yeah, hey, man,
3: 404-964-418. Five. That is my cell number. It's been my cell number for, I think, about 10 years now. And uh, I keep the phone with me all the time. I sleep with it next to my head on the pillow, which is crazy, but I do. And the reason is... Because bad things can happen to good people at odd hours. And I should trademark that. That's pretty catchy. Uh, But that's what happens. Very few things happen in the middle of the day on Monday at 1 o'clock when we're at our office. And judges are in chambers and bail bondsmen are at their desks. It's always at 3 o'clock in the morning on a dark, rainy night when there's a Russian invasion scheduled. Uh, So Hmm. when those things are about to happen, call me on my cell phone. And uh, we'll we'll try to get you out of as much trouble as fast
2: as we can.
1: There you
2: go. Speaking of trademarking something, I was thinking about a new catchphrase for my firm. It's similar to what somebody else does, but I think it's different enough that I could, I could do it because it's unique. So my new catchphrase is going to be uh, Bruce Pagan, personal injury trial lawyer, one call, that's all, y'all. <laughs> I, think I, I, love
1: that. I love it. I love it. Now, and it's so
3: southern. That, no, no, no. They, they, no, because that's you know that's how Ken got that saying. He bought it from the plaintiff's lawyer in Alabama, and that was the saying. He had the y'all on it. and Ken oh, cut right. that off. Ah, oh,
1: interesting. One call, that's
3: all for all of y'all. I, I think I
1: could change it. <laughs> right. Right. Mix it up and, just enough. Why
3: don't you put why don't you put some kind of a New York Bronx twist on this thing? Why, why are you running from your? Your, you know, your heritage, my friend.
2: It's a good point. I'll, I'll figure that one out by next week.
1: <laughs> yeah, there we go. We'll get it. But, uh, <laughs> hey, let's start out with a guy named Michael Avenatti. He is representing himself in court now after uh, uh, originally representing Stormy Daniels, who was suing President Trump. And uh, that got thrown out by the uh, Supreme Court. But now he is accused of swindling Stormy Daniels out of $300,000. And he's tried to extort Nike before. I mean, this guy is um, he's he's a wild card, I believe.
2: Yeah, he was actually uh, sentenced for his actions against Nike, where he claimed that he had proof that they were offering money illegally to uh, high school kids uh, and college kids and and encouraging them to go to certain schools and wear their products. Um, And he told them he was going to go public if they didn't pay a certain amount of money, I think, 20 million dollars. To his clients and instead of paying the money they went to the authorities who then charged and ultimately uh, uh, got a conviction against the guy for his role in the nike case this one you know where he had been so instrumental in pushing stormy daniels out front as the woman who trump had his salacious affair with and had paid a $130,0 uh settlement to make her go away um, he apparently was involved in helping her with a book deal but when it came time for the money to be paid, took three hundred thousand dollars of that for himself. And so now he's charged uh, and facing trial for extortion. And so you very likely are gonna have both Stormy Daniels testifying in that case and Avenatti taking the stand in his own defense. And this is a guy, Ray, who at one point was you know, putting himself out there and, and heralded as, as, you know, just the sort of tough, bulldoggy New Yorker who wouldn't back down from the challenge that was potentially going to be the Democratic nominee for president.
3: I was sitting in a jury box many, many years ago and waiting for the judge to come out. Judge Joel Fryer, Fulton Superior Court, um, he has since passed, but a a brilliant judge. I don't know. He had a fly in his ointment that day, and then something was annoying. I mean, he just looked at all those lawyers in the front couple rows and just in general said, ladies and gentlemen of the bar. If you come to court on time, bring your case with you, talk to your witnesses, and be honest as an officer of the court, you're going to make a good living. You might not get rich, but you'll make a nice living and you'll have a really rewarding life. And here is a guy who took that simple expression and tossed it in the Bronx River. The guy comes from nothing. He gets a high-profile case. Okay, we all want a high-profile case. But then he commences to lying, cheating, stealing just about everything he touches and does it in some of the most, you know, ham handed ways with no tact. I mean, gee, you know, go watch a couple mafia movies if you want to bla- learn how to blackmail Nike uh, properly. Mm. And uh, and and now why is he representing himself? Probably a couple of reasons. A, he's probably got no money. B, he thinks he's such a fantastic lawyer and I think it was is it Shakespeare that said a lawyer who represents himself uh, you know has a fool for a client and C there's probably no lawyer of, of repute and good reputation that wants this guy with within 10 feet of him uh so it's a you know talk about a fall from grace uh, when you could have you could have made something out of yourself and he was on the road to doing so.
2: We saw something similar with uh, Michael Cohen, who was you know, a lawyer who had built himself up to something but basically just decided he was going to be a bully and he was going to be a henchman, and, and he was going to cut corners and ultimately caught up with him, and he ended up in jail. So you know, we, yeah. we talked about this the other day how it, it's not just having money, having influence, having power, having fame. Those things don't keep you – from being held accountable in the justice system. And we've really seen example after example of that in the last couple of years. Uh, And this is just another one. So, you know, this trial is uh, interesting really because of who the players are and the the national stage on which they were uh, dealing a couple of years ago. But realistically, it's just another example of a lawyer stealing money from a client, which is kind of our sacred duty not to do that. You know, people may not realize this, but lawyers, all of us, are held accountable by both state bar rules, by rules of ethics that apply to our profession, and of course, the rules of law that apply to everybody. And uh, this guy, by his actions, really seems to have violated all of those, and, and stealing from clients is at the top of the list. There was a lawyer, a- very famous and, and highly accomplished lawyer out in California, a guy named Tom Girardi, who is uh, the subject of a special, He he got married to a woman much younger than him Uh, who was one of the real housewives of Beverly Hills. And that, like one thing after another, led to eventually him stealing boatloads of money from clients in wrongful death settlements and other huge cases like airplane crashes, essentially to keep this lifestyle going that he had created for he and this gold digger wife of his. There was a special on um, HBO, I think, about it called The Hustler and the con man or the housewife and the hustler We're, it's definitely worth checking out because this is a guy at the top of the profession who will spend the, his last days uh in jail it's a shame and what
3: most folks who are listening probably don't know this that in the state of georgia lawyers are not required by law or state bar rules to have what's called O coverage meaning errors and omissions coverage basically malpractice or negligence coverage uh, nor is there any special slush fund uh, that I'm aware of for for funding for lawyers who made a mistake or perhaps uh, stole some money or embezzled money from their clients, usually it's out of the damn escrow account. Uh, so one of the things, and we've talked about a couple on a couple shows, how to choose a lawyer. It's not inappropriate to say, you know, do you have errors and omissions coverage? And We have a I have a million dollar case. Do you have a million dollars worth of coverage in case something goes wrong? Uh, but people, lawyers do make mistakes. Uh, and and they get sued. Uh, And and if you sue a lawyer that doesn't have any E&O coverage, well, then you're trying to take their house or their boat or their plane, or perhaps in Mr. Arnetti's case, nothing. He may have nothing. Uh, And that's a shame. And most of the public does not know that. I think it's a a mistake by the state bar not to require at least uh, maybe a nominal amount, a quarter of a million dollars worth of, of coverage. It doesn't cost that much, and it's the responsible thing for lawyers to do.
2: And I know it's come up at the state bar in the past that this should be a requirement, and I don't really understand the resistance to it, other than certain small town lawyers. You see this, you know, if it's an additional few thousand dollars cost per year, um, that it's going to cut into their profits. But I, I don't know how you would do that in general, how you would go about not doing it. You know, when I had nothing, right. I still, right. I, I was building a practice at literally out of the trunk of my car. I still had insurance. That was the first bill that I paid.
0: Sure. sure. I have sure. And, and it, you it know, exists. you know,
3: it really could be, it could be a self-funded do the state situation where, you know, we pay a certain amount of bar dues and CLE fees every year. Well, you increase it by X amount of dollars per lawyer, maybe per years of practice, things like that. Technically, it should go down the longer you practice, but nonetheless, uh, we're more we're more uh, in a position to pay something and contribute to a fund that is regulated by, you know, state officers or something like that. But uh, in a lot of doctors and Bruce, you do medical malpractice cases. Not every doctor carries uh, negligence, um, m- medical malpractice insurance anymore.
2: That's right. And that's particularly true and problematic with nursing homes. Even nursing homes yeah, are required to have it. It's, it's, yeah. it's terrible.
1: Yeah. This is Extra 1063. Download the app it's the best way to listen as we uh, wrap up this segment on your day in court. When we come back there's a really fascinating case that uh, we've we've talked about a little bit in past shows, but it is a Tesla that was in autonomous driving mode And there was a wreck. Now that driver, or I guess passenger, it depends on how you put it, I guess, is uh, charged with a felony. We'll break down that case next on your day in court here on Extra 106.3 with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice.
4: 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice on
1: Extra 1063. Welcome back to Your Day in Court with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice, renowned lawyers here in Atlanta, in the state of Georgia, and across the country. If you need their help, we can give you an opportunity to uh, get in touch with them let you know how to reach them if you need the expert advice that they can provide. So I want to talk to you about uh, Tesla and the first felony charges that have been uh, levied against someone because they were in a crash that was fatal and it involved autopilot on Tesla. I know you guys have seen this case and, and, and keeping up with it, but it is fascinating when you think about it because if you're in autopilot mode, you're not really driving. So are you responsible? And I guess the answer, at least in this case is going to be, uh, the, it, or, or, uh, is considered yes.
2: Very true. And you know, it, it is a good question. And it's something that I think every state defines what it means to be a driver. And as we start getting into the era of uh, autonomous or self-driving cars, that definition may have to be tweaked, but realistically right now, uh, in Georgia, for example, the driver is considered anybody who drives which is kind of a silly way to say it uh, operates or is in actual physical control of a motor vehicle and so are you in control when you set that vehicle to the autonomous driving setting that's the sort of legal question that's going to have to be defined and i think as we get into the explosion of self-driving cars and this new technology that's one of many things that's going to have to get sorted out in the law because um, you know, that old saying that uh, you have to break a few eggs to make an omelet, we're going to have to go through a lot of pain and loss of life, as we see here, if we're going to ever get to a point where the self-driving cars are actually safe to be on the road. You know, the government is is looking into um, a push from several different companies to have uh, tractor trailers and, and link them two and three together that are self-driving fully autonomous tractor trailers with a, uh, an operator slash driver just sitting in the front seat not doing anything as these vehicles just propel down the highway like freight trains. And, and you know, there's going to be some tragic mistakes that occur. And from that, the companies will then tweak their algorithms and their sensors and figure out how to avoid that so that 20 years from now, maybe a lot less than that, things will be a whole lot safer. But to get there It's going to be, I think, um, a pretty ugly scenario.
3: Yeah, Bruce is right. I mean, in every technological, as the evolution of the automobile and vehicles proceeds, there's litigation. Uh, There's a a mass case against Tata, T-A-T-A, which is an Indian company that manufactured many, many, many of the airbag systems for smaller cars, Japanese cars, and major recall airbags that failed. I get it all the time when I get a case where there's an accident. First things clients say, well, the airbags didn't deploy. Well, generally didn't deploy because the impact wasn't significant enough, but sometimes it's just airbag failure, uh, seatbelt failure. Now we're going to have some various degree of self-driving cars right now. Lots of cars have safety features, you know, lane change things, automatic braking. Well, it's it's a theory of tort liability that when you, as a manufacturer or producer of a product, raise the level of standard of care and of safety and promote that, and are compensated for that, and if there's a failure, then you're responsible for the failure. So what I'm saying is, if you say, hey, we have eight seat uh, uh, airbags in this car, it's you know five star rating, yada yada yada. And they fail. Well, then you've raised the bar. You've raised the standard. And then now you're liable for that. So we're going to see these kind of cases. They're going to be interesting as heck. We're going to have to have uh, staff members that went to Georgia Tech or MIT. Uh, Gold guys like Bruce and I are going to have to update our technological knowledge and understanding. And it's going to come as defenses as well. If I am the driver of a car and I'm behind the wheel but one of these safety features lane change features that I've come I paid for and I've come to depend on fails causes an accident and somebody is killed am I responsible did I have the appropriate CNTOR, the mental the mental uh, capability and knowledge and intent to harm somebody by the failure of this technology I think the answer is no
1: the, uh, yeah uh the...
2: so th- this I'm sorry, talk, Go ahead. this this case is interesting for several reasons, not the least of which is that it, it involves criminal charges and certainly will involve civil liability as well. And so the, you know, from my standpoint, I'm always looking at that from the standpoint of who is responsible to what degree is their responsibility. In the, in the tort world, the negligence world. And that always comes down to what's reasonable under the circumstances. You know, here's another uh, example where technology has changed so much. 10 years ago, if you think about it, we still had cell phones, but would it have been reasonable 10 years ago to let your phone tell you, turn left here, turn right here, go straight. Uh, you would never think to to listen to your phone to tell you that. And then as technology advanced and Google Maps advanced and Waze developed as uh, another uh, fully autonomous system to to give you route guidance, it became much more reasonable to the point that now if you're saying, well, I turned right on that street because my Waze said turn right on that street and I didn't realize it was one way against me. You know, there was a flaw in the system. Is that the sort of thing that um, excuses the driver's conduct in a situation like that? Uh, or does the driver have to override the uh, the bad instruction from waste? We saw this very recently when during uh, blizzards out west, the route guidance was taking drivers on an incredibly dangerous path to the mountains where they never should have been driving in a snowstorm because the highway had been blocked and this was the only other road to get around it. And so to what extent do you have a responsibility as the driver to say, I'm ignoring this, this instruction that my route guidance software is giving me because it's giving me bad information versus I'm just going to blindly do what it tells me because Google and Waze are always right, you know? And so it's just a different world we live in. And the same thing I think is developing right now as it relates to this autonomous driving, you have to still sit behind the wheel. You have to be in control of your vehicle, even when you're on autopilot uh, and you have to be prepared to take over uh, if something is happening that shouldn't be happening. But 10 years down the road, do, are you going to be able to say that, well, at this point, I'm fully comfortable just letting the car make these decisions for me? Because, first of all, the car's always right. And, and, and autonomous drivers are never tired. They're never drunk. They're never... Uh, you know, looking at their phone and distracted, you know, they're, they're fully alert at all times. So it takes out a tremendous degree of, of human error. So it, it, it's a changing area of the law and one that, uh, yeah, I'm really fascinated by. I agree with Ray. This is not the sort of thing that the old codgers like us, I think, are really going to have to <laughs> contend with too much. But, for example, my son, who is a lawyer now for seven years and a great lawyer, um, taking over hopefully one day this practice, um, I think this is a big issue that he's gonna have to deal with in the coming years.
3: Yeah, t- I mean, technology has seeped into just virtually every area of the law. Uh, in our criminal cases, of course, right away, we're looking for body camera evidence, cameras, some ATMs, uh, ring cameras, some homeowners, uh, surveillance drones. Uh, now you see these drones that are sort of little robots that that patrol factories and warehouses and parking decks. So, is increasingly when the practice of law from day one, you have to start figuring out how to recoup, preserve, and protect this information from somebody who may not want to give it up. I mean, is it possible that Mr. Musk, who owns uh, Tesla, says, you know what, I'm not giving up my, the, you know, the secret software code. You're not going to be able to figure out why this happened. It's protected. It's copyrighted and i'm not a party to this lawsuit or maybe i you know he is or isn't uh but we're not going to let you figure it out just like you know these send these uh, octogenarian senators keep calling uh, mark zuckerberg of meta facebook in front of congress and the senate and say well we need to see what your your algorithms are so we can figure out why I'm getting uh, constant commercials for Depends and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, erectile dysfunction right. medications. Let me and and the, and the truth is that's because you keep shopping for those things. That's why, Senator. Um, but Ray, uh,
2: Ray yeah. funny you say that because uh, over the holidays, I had heard uh, one of our friends on the radio on our sister station, 6 eight of the Fan, talking about what I thought would be a great gift idea, and it's kind of like a uh, lingerie of the month club for the wife. A pajama
1: gram, right? I, uh, I,
2: yeah, so, so, so I looked at it on my computer, and I swear to you now. All that comes up on every social media platform <laughs> is, is pictures of women in scanty lingerie and, and offers for me to buy it. And I'm afraid my wife's going to see this. It's like, Bruce, what that's the heck? a is that's a, that's a your... great
3: story, and I'm sure all of our male <laughs> listeners are writing that down. Please, 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 that, please, keep that please, one in your back
1: pocket, It's, Sweetie, it's the same looking... thing that
3: happened. To, it's the same thing that happened to Bruce Hagan, honey. That's right. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was
2: I was just trying to get you a gift.
1: <laughs> you, you know, but when you talk about technology a little bit, and Apple has run into this with. Uh, The iPhone, you know, because it is encrypted and there's been federal agencies Mm -hmm. like the FBI that would like access to it. And Apple has, uh, to my knowledge, not ever bent (laughs) and given in to give the FBI the ability to hack those phones.
2: It's Uh, such a problem. Even, for example, when we have clients who um, somebody has died in the family and they just want to be able to get into the person's accounts, to be able to do things like you know get to their bank accounts and sort of deal with issues there or pay their bills and do the things that you have to do after somebody dies, and and people store so much information on their phones, it takes a subpoena uh, and a court order to to get the passcode to allow the next of kin or the you know you have to actually go and get appointed as a representative of that person's estate just to be able to go ahead and deal with things like getting into their phone. It, it really is sort of uh, considered like high level government secrecy.
3: Right, and, uh, and as Tug points out, Apple uh, fights ferociously any intrusion or incursion into its, its patented technology. Uh, BlackBerry did the same for many, many years. Um, and, and of course, uh, one, one of the reasons that BlackBerry is just finally, I think they finally shut down the last system after all these years. Is that, you know, President Obama famously, you know, would not give up his BlackBerry. It's because it had the best security system. Well, I, I say the best, but well, a the very good security yeah, it yeah, was reported a that very good, Right, a very good uh, security system. And, and the, the value of that corporation now, which I believe is a Canadian-owned company, is in its software. That software, while you may not have a BlackBerry phone. The technology and the and the encrypted devices are being sold and used in uh, other ways. That's that's what the remaining value of that BlackBerry company. I had I had several Blackberries. I like the uh, I like the keyboard, the tactile keyboard. It's it's taken me a long time to change over to this Apple. Phone, but um, yeah, Apple fights fiercely, and the CIA and the FBI and everybody tries to get into these phones because the bad people realize that they have a certain level of protection from their community of their communications.
2: That's right, that's right. So, getting back to the autonomous vehicles, um, some teenage hacker had figured out a way to hack into Tesla and to take control to a degree of the vehicles, and it wasn't to be able to drive it, but things like open and close the locks to, uh, start and shut off the engine. Uh, this, this kid had figured out a way to hack in. And so Tesla's response to this was to hire the kid and, and to figure out how they can, uh, how did you do this? And let's make our systems hack proof, you know? And so, uh, it's just a, it's an example of how these issues are going to be evolving over the coming years, because, you know, essentially we're talking about the world just driving around in a, a four wheeled computer,
3: you know, uh, As a practical matter for your day in court, these cases are going to come to courtrooms and we're going to have judges. uh, And, you know, here I am, I'm 63. I'm not bad with this technology. I actually, you know, (laughs) it took us forever to get the the link hooked up this morning, but we did in (laughs) fact get it done. But think about, think about presenting this type of a case to a judge and a members of a jury who are in their 60s, in their 70s, maybe even older, who grew up with uh, Channel 2, 5, and 7, you know, on a black and white TV with rabbit ears, and maybe have not made the the leap in uh, understanding the technology or understanding, pat, you know, technology patents and things like that. I mean, uh, again, I, I, I use this analogy of, of all these congressional hearings, and I just, I watch these things a little bit, and I look at, you know, these brilliant uh, what I consider to be brilliant folks from Apple and and uh, Dell or whatever technology company you want to put up there—they're all brilliant—and and I think they're just biting their lip not to laugh at the, the stupidity of the questions and the and the the approach of our our government. We're, you know, the the Apple of our no pun intended, but you know, the gem of our technology is our technology companies that are the best in the world or amongst the best in the world. And, you know, just for the sake of politics, they're looking at, you know, well, how do we break up Google into 27 different companies? Because 30 years ago, they broke up Ma Bell into 27 companies, and now we have one phone company again. So, you know, I think about a judge having to make these type of decisions. Uh, Supreme Court uh, Chief Judge Roberts a few years ago showed, I think, some great insight on a search – criminal search warrant by law enforcement – into a cell phone uh, which was just a blanket search we want to look at all aspects of your cell phone rather than the communication that we think is relevant to this investigation you know a narrow search and chief justice roberts wrote that these phones and computers and tablets are no longer just mere you know photographs they are a diary of your life they tell us where you had for lunch and who you talked to and who your friends are and where you went And, and he the supreme court limited uh, just sort of a let's do it on a fishing expedition type search warrant of people's technology.
2: Ray, right, what you just said is exactly what um, Alec Baldwin said when he was initially mm-hmm. refusing to turn over his phone. Right. Uh, because he said, look, I'm, I'm willing to cooperate with the authorities and give them what's relevant uh, when served with a subpoena, but I'm not going to turn over my entire phone. I, I have my whole life on there. And, and in that, to that extent, I think he's correct. Um, Let's get back to this uh, issue, though, of, of, you know, what happens in the world of fully autonomous vehicles. And if somebody gets hurt or killed or if there's a criminal case, how do you deal with this? And and then from the civil side of things, um, there are a couple of things to be really concerned with. Number one is that these companies, of course, are so big and, you know, Tesla's at the forefront, but now all the major car manufacturers are getting behind this. Ford, in a big way, is investing heavily in this, as is General Motors. But one of the things that they recognize is that this idea that there will be a lot of people hurt as we develop this technology. And because it's so important to our economy, we, the car manufacturers that, that will be creating so many jobs here in the United States and will be doing so much good for our country, we want immunity as we go forward in this regard. And they've gone to uh, the, the legislature saying, please give us immunity from liability as we go forward with this. And that that's an awfully scary prospect uh, to say that, sure, we want you to develop this technology, but all the mistakes and problems you have along the way, you're, you don't have to be held accountable for that.
3: Well, now, Bruce, there is a similar, companies. I was just about to get to, that there's yeah. the vaccination uh, and drug protection for for cutting edge medical uh, technology and pharmaceuticals that uh, certain limited protections have been given to the drug companies. So this is not a novel thought. Uh, right. But what about, uh, Bruce, let me throw one at you. What are your, your and my, but your dear friends at the auto insurance company is going to do when, when we have one of these accidents and let's say this, take this Tesla case in California and a uh, big insurance company, you know, that the good hands or the umbrella or the, the, uh, the lizards or the ape man cavemen say, Hey, wait a second you didn't tell us that, you know, you weren't going to be driving the car that you had, that we, we insured you, Mr. Jones. We didn't insure some computer that we don't know about or some software. We didn't factor that in. I mean, the flip side sure. of it should be, well, you've got a much safer vehicle because of all these safety features and we're going to give you a discount. Uh, I will venture to say that if they can wiggle out of coverage, they're going to try to wiggle out of coverage.
2: You're right. you're absolutely right. Was, <laughs> and, and, and the the listeners should understand that there are several ways to do that, and and try to say that our coverage does not apply to this crash would exempt a liability insurance company entirely. But another way to do it is to say that, okay, even if we're not exempt from coverage, like if if we do have to provide coverage here, we're going to do something, we're going to use a law called apportionment to say that other people are responsible besides the driver of this vehicle, the operator, whatever you want to call them. And they're going to use our apportionment laws, Mm -hmm. which are existing in every state, to say that the manufacturer should be apportioned fault, the uh, manufacturer of the guidance system should be a portion of fault. Of course, the other driver and, 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 and whoever, you know, think about other technology, right? The stoplights and, and the traffic control, what, whatever. Every, every single one of these cases becomes a, a referendum on everybody who's involved. And so it raises the bar, because you know. again, think about it. We work on a contingent fee, right? And so we only get paid if we're able to establish that somebody is at fault and that fault caused harm. And if we have to go through a product liability battle on every single case, you can't bring a case that has a value less than a million dollars. Anything other Let's, than catastrophic injuries, you can't right. justify it. You right. Know, because right the big now, guys. Yeah, go go ahead. Yeah,
3: I was just gonna say, and Bruce, what Bruce is getting at pragmatically, is that the form of the verdict would be there might be five defendants, you know, the software company, the GPS company, Tesla, you know, who knows who else. And the jury then gets to say, well, we find this company 15% liable, the driver 4% liable. This guy obviously has to, and, and, and the other party is a little bit liable too. Well, then there's a second level, Bruce. Not only do we have – we lawyers have to get a verdict, but we need to get a good verdict against somebody who can pay. <laughs> you know? yeah. we, we, need, we need the company in the case because they've got deep pockets, uh, as you say, if you've got a catastrophic case. So pragmatically, these cases are going to be extremely expensive to pursue because it's going to be a battle of the experts. It's not just a little old stop sign case where we go out to the scene of the accident and we take photographs and maybe we, we're high tech and we get an aerial from Google Earth and show it to the jury about how the other guy ran the stop sign. Uh, this is going to be expensive litigation. And the, and listen, you know whether it's Apple or Tesla or Johnson and Johnson, man, they got not only do they have the good experts, but they got all the experts under contract. So you're hunting around to get some expert who went to the Univ- Orange County Community College like I did in upstate New York to come in and fight, fight against these folks from MIT and, and Georgia Tech and, some, and things like that.
2: Yeah, who get paid a million dollars a year yeah. just to testify on behalf of these companies that they're never wrong and they don't make mistakes. So, so it's, it's really a, a very, uh, I, I think, corrupt system in that regard. Um, and, you know, look, I've always been on the side of people. And individuals, when it comes comes to where the power is and people versus big business, I'm always on the side of people. And I want individuals in our country should always have a, a remedy, should always have a recourse when harm has been done to them. And this sort of development as it relates to, um, you know, it becomes a, a massive product liability type of case, adds a whole other layer of insulation from responsibility and prevents injured people from being able to have recourse. And I'm very much against that. And I'm going to add one more thing to this, Ray, because it just makes it that much more challenging. Suppose you have any of these companies that outsource the technology mm-hmm. without guidance system to a foreign country, let's say Taiwan, in the, somewhere in China, because that's how it works with so much of our manufacturing mm-hmm. goods. And they said, all right, now there's a, a company that's in a jurisdiction that you can't get to and has no direct business ties here to the united states that is fully responsible for the route guidance system and now the, the companies say that you can say tesla's at fault but we have outsourced our route guidance to this foreign national company that is beyond the jurisdiction of american courts and it's not our fault as tesla that this happened it's their fault mm. so, so you now are really left without any recourse for somebody who's injured. And if this sounds fantastical and sounds like something that's not really what goes on, I can tell you that it happens every single day already when we try to deal with things that seem to be American-made products, but realistically, they're designed in another country, they're made in another country, and and there are so many layers that prevent you from getting access to the ultimate company that has, uh, has done the bad act that you can't bring them to justice here in our United States courts, and it, it leaves a lot of people without recourse. Goodness. Yeah,
3: gracious. if you try to sue a, a product made in South Korea, made by one of their conglomerates, you know, Suzuki or Sony or whoever, there's 50 different subdivisions, uh, maybe 150 different subdivisions, uh, and you have to sue the right subdivision, and then of course you have to have that case uh, sanctioned by the hague or international law sometimes to try to collect the judgment now the major major corporations that do business worldwide do have assets and interests in the united states that can be attached and they have what you know would be called significant contacts i think that was from a an old supreme court case back in the 20s erie versus something railroad that said you can have jurisdiction over the over the defendant if they have significant contacts Uh, in that jurisdiction and do business there or promote their business there or transport through there. So it's not impossible, but it's hard for the small guy. It's hard for the small law firm. And it's very hard when it's a small, a smaller case, you know, uh, every case is big and important to all of our clients. And Bruce and I are saying that, and that's who we are. But the bottom line is, you know, you can't spend $150,000 in expert witness fees and lo- legal fees to collect on a forty-nine thousand dollar case.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it, there's so many layers to this, and it's such a fascinating conversation. We'll leave it right here, but uh, I will just conclude by saying there's an estimated seven hundred and sixty-five thousand Tesla vehicles that are equipped with auto driving or driver assist in the United States alone. So uh, this is going to be a topic of conversation for a really long time. When we come back. Are you going to a Super Bowl party? Are you hosting a Super Bowl party? What are your reli- what are your liabilities and what are your responsibilities? We'll get into that next with Bruce Hagan and Ray Jutche on Your Day in Court on Extra 1063.
4: 20- dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagan
0: and Ray Judice on Extra 106.3. This is your day in court
1: with Bruce Hagan and Ray Judich. If you need their advice, going to introduce you to them so you can get in contact with them and get the best legal advice in the city of Atlanta, in the state of Georgia, maybe even in the country for whatever your legal need is at the end of the segment, about uh, eight minutes from right now. I want to go into the possibilities that people are going to celebrate the Super Bowl because it seems to happen every year. Everybody's going to a Super Bowl party or hosting a Super Bowl party, but what are your liabilities and responsibilities if you're throwing a party? And, Ray, we'll start with you.
3: Yeah. uh, Georgia has what's called host liability in the business world. It's called dram shop, meaning a shot of dram that you got when you worked on the ship uh, in the old English Navy for a reward for your good day's work at the end of the day. But uh, it means that if you should overserve somebody at your Super Bowl party, the big game, uh, and you know that they've parked their Tesla out in no. your driveway, so they drove there, and they're going to drive home with or without the automatic pilot, and they cause a wreck or hurt themselves, their passengers, or some innocent bystanders, you can be held partially liable as one of the defendants for over serving or letting somebody become noticeably intoxical there's a lot of rules there's a lot you have to prove on the plaintiff's side as bruce knows but it it can be done and it can uh, you'll be calling your homeowner's umbrella umbrella policy that next day
2: so if you're going to be hosting a party and you're going to have people to your house maybe this is a good opportunity to do something that probably none of our listeners ever do which is why not check and make sure that your homeowner's insurance policy is actually up to date, that it's paid, that it's active, that it's got the kind of coverage that you need in an amount that you need. You know, a lot of people buy homes, uh, but then maybe they've had some financial success and now they have more assets than they had at the time. Maybe you don't have enough coverage. So it'd be a good time prior to that party to check and see, just make sure you have coverage and what it all entails. As to hosting the party itself, you know, there's a lot of things that you're responsible for that can occur in your house. So that's a good opportunity to look around and, and, and do a sort of objective assessment of, are there dangerous conditions that exist here in this house that I would need to warn my guests about, things that I take for granted, like I know that the third step on the steps comes loose if you step to the right, but I always step to the left to avoid it. I really should fix it, but I haven't done that. But somebody who's new to your home may not know that, and they may step to the right and get themselves hurt. So go ahead and fix those things that you've been delaying or putting off, or at the very least, put out a warning sign to warn people that there's a dangerous area here. You know, we see this with um, slip and falls at grocery stores. Um, the important thing is not so much to prevent anybody from falling, but if you're aware of a hazard, that you are alerting your guests to that hazard, okay? Um, another area where people run into problems when they host parties at their house has to do with dogs and dog bites. If you know that you have a dog that A, has either bitten somebody in the past, or B, a dog that gets uh, a little bit worked up when there's a lot of people around, well, you're the homeowner, it's your dog. You have a responsibility to separate that dog from your guests. So take the dog, put them in a, a bedroom upstairs or somewhere where they're out of the way and not interacting with everybody or put the dog outside or just do something to separate that dog, maybe even have somebody take the dog for the day so that you're not in a situation where your dog is prone to biting somebody and then you're going to be responsible for the harm that that animal causes. Um, a la- last thing I would say is if we're dealing with winter weather and you're going to have icy walkways, all right, well, it's your responsibility. You're hosting, you have to provide safe egress and ingress from your house, meaning you have to provide safe walkways so be prepared with some ice melt or something else to clear the, the ice away from your entrances and exits, so that people who are coming and going don't slip on the ice and hold you responsible for that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, and we and we use this word foreseeability uh, in many of our shows. And what that what Bruce is getting at, uh, it's foreseeable that Rover, you know, the 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 stray pit bull that you've adopted three weeks ago <laughs> and has bitten five people you know, it's foreseeable that, that he might he or she may bite uh, some kid that maybe doesn't know how to deal with dogs or a guest or does something kind of squirrely and frightens a dog. Most dog bites are caused by people doing stupid things and a dog is just being defensive. I'm a, I'm a dog lover and that's, that's what I've observed. But these rules and the rule of foreseeability also extends to your business, your premises. Uh, if you've known the you've got a bad piece of, of carpeting and you and your staff have tripped on it five times and one of your new c- clients comes in and trips on that same piece of carpeting and gets hurt. You're That was foreseeable. Uh, it was going. It was probably going to happen or bet more reason than not. And you're liable. If you're running a Super Bowl party and it's $100 per person at your bar and it's unlimited nachos and wings and, and beer and somebody leaves there and uh, that causes a wreck, by being impaired or intoxicated, you may be responsible as the owner of that business. Going back to insurance, there is a special type of insurance for that coverage that many small bars and restaurants don't carry. And you're kind of having to sue the owner of that business who may decide it's easier to close up, you know, Harry's Bar and Grill and move to South Florida and reopen down there. Uh, you also notice that many restaurants, especially the chains, subtly change their advertising uh they're not so much bars or taverns anymore they're grills their specialty is great food and dining and if you would like to have a cocktail they'll make it available it's a subtle approach but it's important when you get sued what the name of your establishment is you know no doubt about it, it if it's harry's sit and sip (laughs) <laughs> you sound like a bar. <laughs> if right. it's Harry's, you know, grill and wood-fired barbecue, well, you know, we get you a cold beer if you want one. Yeah, uh, And as, so those rules extend. And again, with your theme is about foreseeability. If there's something in your home or your business that you've said to yourself more than once or twice or one of your employees said, hey, we really need to fix that. You really need to fix it because it's foreseeable that somebody's going to get hurt.
1: Goodness gracious. It is. uh, There's so many things you have to think about. And when you don't think about everything as thoroughly as you should and you get yourself into legal hot water, potentially into legal hot water, you should reach out to experts in that field. And we have two of them on this show, Bruce Hagan and Ray Judice. Bruce, how do people get a hold of you?
2: Very easy to find. Hagan-law.com on the interwebs. You can call me anytime, 404-522-7553. I'm always available. We'll get right back to you if you can't get me on the phone live. Sometimes I'm actually talking to other folks, so I have to leave a message. But we'll get right back to you, and um, it's very easy to find us. I always say if you can't find me, it's just because you're not looking. Uh, But I've been doing this for 30-plus years, as has Ray, and we've got great people uh, around us, and so there's always a way to get us on the phone or reach us and get answers to your questions.
3: I understand, Bruce, can be found at many of the lingerie stores around town as well,
1: apparently. And we learned that earlier.
3: (laughs) Uh, 404-964-4185 is my cell number 404-555-8800 is the office we're here in roswell now after many many years in uh, buckhead and uh, metro atlanta but we're still handling cases throughout the metro atlanta area uh if i can't handle a case for you call me anyway uh let me find the the best lawyer in Whitfield County or Habersham County or wherever you need to be, uh, we're all connected and we know each other. And I'd rather sort of do that screening for you and maybe help that lawyer move the case down the field and score a touchdown on your
1: behalf. There you go. If you need help, let me recommend Bruce Hager to Ray Judice. They can help you and they will help you. Like you said, even if you don't think they can reach out because they can point you in the right direction. This is your day in court with Bruce Hagen and Ray Giudice on Extra 106.3. Guys, have a great weekend. Thanks, Doug.
0: The winningest team in baseball also has the most saves. And people who save the most money are winners. So start earning saves by investing in worthy bonds for only $10 each. These bonds earn a fixed 7% APY. And there's no fees, penalties, or minimum balance required. And they can be redeemed whenever you like. You can even round up everyday purchases to buy additional bonds. Go to worthybonds.com backslash save. That's worthybonds.com backslash save and save and win. Hey
4: everybody, Buck Blue here. And as a recent customer of Jim Ellis automotive and a longtime friend of the vice president, Stacey Ellis, man, I know Jim Ellis automotive group takes pride in being a family owned and operated business. was founded on. And that's why Jim Ellis has been around for over 50 years. Enjoy the advantages of buying your next vehicle from a family-owned and operated dealership. Visit jimellis.com or stop by any of their 20 dealerships located throughout Metro Atlanta. Jim Ellis Automotive, where you can always expect the best. This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down.